my hair I looks like now. <laughs> my hair looks like Amos from Chicago, <laughs> aka Cellophane, Mister <laughs> Wait, like Amos is played by John C. Riley in the movie? Yes. Okay. Wow. That's how my hair looks right now because I was wearing a hat all day. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> no, I'm gonna have that pink right <laughs> through me. Walk hey. right by me. And hey. never know I'm there. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> In the interest of recording for this movie, I've I've had too much caffeine today. So <laughs> like Did that happen last time? You were like, shouldn't have had a Red Bull before recording. Well, that happened again because I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can barely keep my eyes open. <laughs> I wish I could impart some of this caffeine to you. It's a cause. Um, I usually have like an Americano every day, and my Americano was terrible. So I didn't completely finish it, and then I switched to Red Bull, and then that was a mistake. Oh, my God. I'm okay. I'm kind of Red Bull switcheroo. (laughs) I'm okay. I just talk a lot now in, like, a loud... I'm going to come out pulling pulling a Dax, going from, like... For real. real. Wait, what was wrong with your Americano? Tell me. Well, you see... (laughs) um, (laughs) You see... (laughs) Lately, the people making my Americanos have been like, like they're not, they're not putting enough ice to account for how hot they're making the espresso, and like, yeah, because it's supposed to be like the temperature of like iced coffee. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so I keep getting it, and then it's like hot at the bottom, but cold on top. Oh, and then I mix ew. it, and then it's all just kind of melty. And and they didn't I put think... enough cream in it. It was just gross. Uh, but I drank most go? of it. Where do you go? Is it a Starbucks? Yeah, but it's not it's a like real a Starbucks. Place. It's uh in a Target. It's across the street. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because my real Starbucks burned down, and that was the best Starbucks <laughs> in the world. It was so good. Everyone there know, was like great. Not, it's not funny, but just like my Starbucks burned down. I don't. No, know it isn't funny, but yeah. And like, what's crazy the, is the it happened like makes me laugh. <laughs> it happened like right after I left. I didn't do it. But if I'd hmm. done it, I bet you, you would have done, <laughs> done the same. same. Pop six Cicero lipshits. Wow, <laughs> is this like this is like... <laughs> how? That's like one of my favorite movies. Just the fact that we got two Chicago songs in there in the first three minutes of recording is hey, absolutely incredible. Hang out with me for a full day. You'll... <laughs> I do. I do love lot. Chicago. I love that movie. I don't know if you saw my tweet like last week or something, but uh, I was listening to a certain podcast about movies, and they. They weren't, like, trashing Chicago. They were just kind of trashing Chicago. Like, basically saying it's not, like, one of the greatest musical films of all time. And I texted my friend, Kayla, about it. 
And I was like, not these straights, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking shit on Chicago. And <laughs> I got one of my greatest, like, dad jokes in, like, that I've done in a while. And <laughs> I was like, me to them, excuse me, do you have COVID? Because you have absolutely no taste. That was a good one. You must admit. <gasps> I know. Somebody oh, call 911. My God. <laughs> My brain, if you could see inside it, it kind of looks like, you know, in this movie like, that we're I've... about to talk about, the, like, cartoon scenes. Yeah. That's what my brain looks like. Yep. Yep. What? Wow. This is incredible. I'm going to be really quiet because I'm really tired, but I'm really excited for your energy. I'm going to try really hard not to just, like, <laughs> yell and, like, run around. <laughs> I mean, again, matches the I also energy think... of this movie. <laughs> yeah. And I also think I just still get, like, nervous to record. So um, mm-hmm. I'm someone, when I get nervous, like, <laughs> I just, like, I won't, like, I, I will say nonsense. <laughs> I also do the same thing when I get nervous. I just kind of yell. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> where you dissociate while you're talking and you're like, what am I saying? And you still keep talking, and you're like... All the time. (laughs) All the time. I never know what I'm saying. Um, Well, we're going to keep all that in, because it was fun. (laughs) We got two Uh... Chicago references in. Uh, Hey, everybody. Uh, You're six minutes in, and uh, this is the Watch Once Never Again podcast, uh, where we watch movies, uh, disturbing movies, so you don't have to. I'm Mary Beth. I'm Dex. And I will watch Chicago 1,500 more times in my life. I'm holding you to that. I've watched it almost every day for the past, like, week. Actually, I knew I was... There's something wrong with me. Yeah, because it just keep like... I just keep watching it. It's comfort. It's comfort. Yeah, but not not fully. Like, I'll watch, like, 10 minutes each day. (laughs) I don't know why. But there was a three-week span, like... Maybe it maybe just ended like last week or the week before where I was watching The Descent literally every night in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. Wow. Am I okay? I saw your tweet about The Descent. No, you're not. But I appreciate the film choice of The Descent because it's an incredible <laughs> fucking movie. But I'm not sure what that says about your mental state. That that's the movie you watch <clears throat> at a one in the morning. Just pop on The Descent every single night. Well, it yeah. kept coming on Pluto. Again, not sponsored by them. But uh... it kept coming on <laughs> in the middle of the night. And I'd be awake. And I'm like, oh, that movie, like, soothes me. I'll watch that. And it's not that it's a soothing movie because it is scary. But um, I think because, like, <laughs> like, the water and the cave, like, is calming to me. Like, the, like the, the nature parts are calming. So... I I think that's an excuse. Pluto, don't just sponsor us. Sponsor Dax's insomnia. <laughs> sponsor my melatonin pills. <laughs> um, but yeah. So um, that all to say, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Um, where we talk about fucked up stuff. Uh, this movie we're talking about this week isn't that fucked up, but it's still good. It's called Spun. From 2003, directed by Jonas Ackerlund, who is a Swedish 
director who does a lot of music videos, which we will talk about because it sure as shit you can tell watching this movie that he directs music videos and likes to direct music videos. One time I got chased uh-huh. Uh-huh. in my car by some guys and I had been blasting Ray of White <laughs> by Madonna. And, <laughs> and so as I was like on this like car chase, Ray of Light by Madonna was blasting from my car and I thought I was going to die. And I was like, wow, this like looks like the music video to Ray of Light kind of like an alternative version. Anyway, he he directed that, right? Wow. He did. He won a Grammy for it. Actually, Spun was his feature film directorial debut. Because he did a bunch of music videos in the 90s, but this was his first feature film, which, once again, we'll talk about because it definitely feels like a music video. Yes. Yeah, he won, he won, he won uh, two, two VMAs in 1998 for best dance video for the Prodigy song Smack My Bitch Up. <laughs> oh my god, he did do that, dude. That used to, that, we should cover that for the podcast, okay? You ever watch that? No. <gasps> you never seen Smack My Bitch Up? Okay, I don't know. Video? Yeah, this might not surprise you, but as a child, I used to, like, seek out band music videos. I mean, um, I get it. I have problems. And that was, like, always the number one. I've seen it so many times. Yeah, I would watch it if I were you. It is pretty disturbing. What if we just did like an episode on music videos? There's some fucked up music and videos. And we will. There. Dude, we should and do we band will. music now videos. Okay, cool. Oh. I'm glad we talked about it. <laughs> Smack my bitch up. I mean, he also would have made for Madonna's Ray of Light video and then won a Grammy for it as well. Hey, there you go. So, I don't know how I remember that. That's him. Jonas Ackerland. Anyway, Jonas Ackerland. Um, <laughs> the incredible Sydney Urbanic, who is a film and culture critic, has written a lot about him, and I think I actually spoke to him. So you should follow her about her mm. music video work because she's incredible. But that anyway, rolls. I had to name drop her if we were talking about him. But do you want to read uh, the plot synopsis for this fucking wild-ass movie? Yes, I would love to. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you. So, <laughs> from Wikipedia, my best friend. Okay. It says, let me just real quick tell you who all is in this movie, okay? Because it's pretty much everyone you've ever seen in a movie. We got... Like, especially in the early 2000s. Like, it's... Yes, specifically. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we got Jason Schwartzman, uh, John Leguizamo, mm-hmm. Mina Suvari, Patrick Fugit, uh, Alexis Arquette, Deborah Harry... Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. <laughs> uh, Eric Roberts, Chloe Hunter, uh, Nicholas Gonzalez, Brittany Murphy, and Mickey Rourke. Yeah, what the okay. fuck? Every person is in this goddamn movie. Yes, and they're all great. So They are all great. It says, 
Ross, played by Jason Schwartzman, is a customer of Spider Mike, played by John Leguizamo, a methamphetamine dealer. Spider Mike and his girlfriend Cookie, played by Mina Suvari, are constantly arguing, and Ross strikes up a friendship with Nikki, played by Brittany Murphy, a fellow addict. Nikki takes Ross to meet her boyfriend, the cook, played by Mickey Rourke, who supplies Spider Mike with drugs from a meth lab he has set up in a motel room. The cook... The cook gives a small amount of meth to Ross in exchange for bringing Nikki home and says that he will get in touch with Ross if uh, if he needs a driver. Back at his apartment, Ross gets messages from his mother and his former girlfriend, Amy, wishing him a, a happy birthday. Ross, assuming that Amy still loves him, sporadically calls her and leaves messages on her answering machine. He then goes to the local strip club while high, leading to an intense pornographic hallucination. He takes April, played by <laughs> Chloe Hunter one of the dancers he has a relationship with, home, and has sex with her in a variety of positions. Don't know why it said that. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, honest to God, reading these, like, whoever writes these for Wikipedia, a gem, okay? You never know what they're going to say. You never know. And what (laughs) details are going to stick out to them as relevant to the plot. (laughs) Yeah, like, why did you find that relevant? Okay. Anyway, the last, um, a variety of positions, the last of which leaves her tied to the bed, well, more like handcuffed, um, naked and fully spread. Ew, I didn't like how that was written. Um, (laughs) fully spread, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I will die. Um, as they finish, (laughs) as they finish, the cook calls with an emergency regarding Nikki's dog, Taco, which needs to be taken to the veterinarian. Uh, April tells him to untie her, but Ross still high duct tapes April's eyes and mouth shut to keep her quiet and leaves her bound to the I bed. Just... I know. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk um, about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> playing music to cover her gag screams. And let me just say, um, he puts on what he says is her favorite song and then he slams the door and then it won't stop like skipping because it, it's a CD. Literally. Literally, all I could think about was how that would drive me in fucking sane. Like, yeah, I would lose part. my mind. That is like torture, like actual torture. Yeah, and it's so loud. He he turns it up so loud. Um, it's your favorite anyway, song. <laughs> Elsewhere, two policemen, played by Peter. You want to say it? Stomp, stomp, body. <laughs> and Alexis Arquette which I didn't realize, working with a TV crew, raid the trailer where Frisbee, played by Patrick Fugit, another one of Spider Mike's customers, lives, falsely believing that a meth lab is located there. They take Frisbee and his overweight mother into, why say that, into custody and threaten him into helping them on a drug bust against Spider Mike. After driving the cook around to buy ephedrine pills, beer and pornography ross returns to his apartment to apologize to the helpless april in the cook's motel room he and nikki have a fight after a prostitute sex worker arrives in response i always i never i never scream when they say when they say that i always say sex worker i'm like nope we're (laughs) changing the narrative here today (laughs) i always like uh i guess because i don't see it before i say it yeah change it a uh, sex worker arrives in response to the cooks inviting her around. I don't know why they said it like that. Nikki when ends. I come around. <laughs> burr, 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 burr. 
Not a fan. Um, Nikki ends their relationship and calls Ross and asks him to take her to a bus station so she can go back to Las Vegas, which Ross does, again, leaving April still tied to the bed. And this time, when he slams the door, the uh, music plays normally, which is actually funny. Um, yeah, it's funny. That was a good, a good, a good <laughs> moment. Yeah, because you think, oh no, but then it fixes itself, and you're like, oh well, at least there's that. Uh, <laughs> while Ross and Nikki are out, Frisbee now wearing a wire visits Spider Mike to buy some meth so the cops can arrest him. When he enters, uh, Cookie attempts to seduce him as revenge for Spider Mike using a phone sex line, but finds the wire. As the cops burst in, a furious Spider Mike shoots Frisbee in the testicles. Spider Mike and Cookie are both arrested, and Frisbee is taken to the hospital. After Ross and Nikki go back to his apartment and find April gone, um, rescued by his lesbian neighbor, played by Debbie Har- uh, yeah, Deborah Harry, um, Ross finally drops Nikki off at the bus station where they share a kiss and hope to reunite if he ever goes to Vegas. Meanwhile, the cook's meth lab catches fire and destroys the motel room. He flees to the adult film store where he's arrested after the owner, played by Rob Halford, uh, calls the police. Once the cook makes bail, he calls Ross asking for a ride to another uh, another dealer's, um, played by Eric Roberts' house in the city, which Ross agrees to do so that he can see Amy, who also lives in the city. The dealer provides the cook with cash, some meth, and the equipment to start a new lab. The cook promises Ross six months' worth of meth in exchange for being his chauffeur. He agrees on the condition that he can see Amy first. Amy, who has gotten her life together, wants no part of him after seeing that he still uses drugs and can only give her $100 out of the 450 he owes her. As all the other characters go to sleep, the cook drives a depressed Ross out to the old to an old trailer in the countryside. Ross naps in his car as the cook sets up a new lab in the trailer, only to blow it up, only to blow it and himself up in the process. And that's the end. The end. I don't like that um, that synopsis skipped the cook's little like story that he tells oh the one when they're driving yeah yeah well we can talk about that we can talk about that later um so had you ever seen this movie before i had never even heard of it until you brought it up um (laughs) okay and i know that you (sighs) how do i put it I, I really I enjoyed it. It made me need to take a shower. I wanted to take a shower afterward because it is the like the grimiest. You know, we talked had like those movies we talked about that like you could smell. This was one of yes. those movies that like you could smell. Like everything was dirty. Every apartment is like covered in like like I was I was thinking about you and like some of the stuff with your OCD and I was like, is Dax okay watching this movie? <laughs> it's like it, yeah. <laughs> because there are some parts that that are just like really really nasty and like it just it leans into this very like grimy aesthetic of like drug addiction but it's definitely funnier than anything we've watched so far and i think 
I don't even know how to describe how I felt watching it. I did. I, I really enjoyed it. It's really weird. It's really chaotic and really just like frenetic, if that's the right word for it. Just like there's so much happening all the time. But it also is like a rather simple story. And I kind of love how it's a simple story, but it's there's so much going on and it's incredibly entertaining and funny and fucked up all at the same time. I agree. Yeah, because this is definitely a it's a it's a it's a black comedy. It's definitely f- has like it's in, intentionally comedic, but also like a lot of it is pr- also pretty dark. If you think even a little bit too hard about it, like for example, like we talked about the again the synopsis about Ross tying April to the bed, and like there's parts of that are kind of funny, but in the whole conceit is like he ties this chick up for days in his room for like no real reason that he offers, and just like has her handcuffed to his bed for days with like no food or water or anything it's like the fuck and he doesn't even realize that's weird (laughs) no he just like doesn't have any sense of urgency with it at all yeah Brittany murphy's character nikki has to be like ross that's weird ross you need to take like let her out immediately but i really enjoyed it and i know that this is another one of those movies that you've watched quite a few times right yes too many times why i I don't know i i didn't have anything like we were really poor but we did have some movies like not very many but like you know we could we could rent movies or like buy them and just watch them over and over and so spun was one of the movies that i i don't know how we got it because i know for a fact my mom did not buy this movie for us i'm sure it was my brother or my sister's movie and Okay. I don't know. We just watched it over and over. I have also like huh. had a crush on Brittany Murphy since I was like literally Ugh. a child. Oh my god. How could you not? I know. And my sister had a crush on um John Leguizamo. <laughs> oh, that was not the character I thought you were gonna say, and you did, and that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, specifically in this movie, actually. Oh um, boy, in this movie? <sighs> oh boy. Well, <laughs> she have a type. Is that her type? <laughs> if oh, no. only I could figure out what her type is. <laughs> but yeah, she loved John Leguizamo in this, and I loved Brittany Murphy not so much in this because she she does look she looks terrible, but like she looks like she does math in this movie. <laughs> well, shockingly, yeah. she does do math in this movie, <laughs> and I really like. Um, Jason Schwartzman. He is really good in this movie. I was not surprised because I think he's a good actor, but I don't know. It was just, I I guess I also haven't seen him in anything in a long time. Like, just for me as like a person who hasn't watched any movies of him in them for a while. I don't know that I've seen very like many movies. I mean, I've seen like a lot of Wes Anderson movies and he's usually in those, but, um, I I liked him at the time because he was in that band Phantom Planet. And, oh yeah. Yeah, and I loved them. So I was like, oh, the guy from Phantom Planet is in this movie, which is actually funny because most people are like, oh, the actor Jason Schwartzman is in this band Phantom Planet. But and you're um, like, no, other way around. Yeah, and on top of that, he was like kind of like, uh, like image like goals for me like i was like Mm -hmm. oh like 
that's how I would like want to look. I mean, now when I watch it, I'm like, oh my god, he looks like he's on meth in this movie. But um, just like how like how he was dressed, like the varsity jacket and the the jeans, yeah. You know? um, well, because he's the most put together looking one in this movie, which is saying a lot. But like, yeah, he's... and it's it's actually funny when you see him. Like the whole time, you're seeing him with all these other people who look worse. So he looks like kind of normal, but then when you see him in the city and he's um, standing there waiting for Amy, you're like, oh, he looks fucking horrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, oh, he's not that bad. And then you're like, oh, no, no. You've just been around people that look ten times worse than you. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why we watched it over and over again. I, I have to guess that it was just because we had crushes on the actors, but I also just really liked this movie. Yeah. Which I know maybe that's an unpopular opinion. I'm sure a lot of people think it's, like, trash. But I don't know. I always thought it was, like, kind of funny, but also, like, sad and sometimes sweet. Yeah, I agree. I see that. I saw it as being, like, it, how do I describe what I'm trying to say? It felt like it It had the vibe of how I feel when I am trying to be funny when I'm really depressed. And, like, you're trying to, like, be kind of like, see, look, it's funny. I'm okay. Nothing's wrong. And then you, like, if you think about it for more than half a second, you're actually really depressed. I don't know if that analogy makes any sense, but, like, it kind of reminded me oh, of that absolutely. vibe of, like, when you're trying to make things look like they're okay and kind of silly and not that big of a deal and then like you th- you let it sink in for just like a couple seconds and you're like oh shit actually this is like really fucked up like the situation is not good this is not like a healthy scenario for anyone to be involved in and yeah yeah i get that it's like when you make a joke about like a dark time in your life because like to you it's just like something that happened to your life at this point like a long time ago and now you're like okay but then you like the person that you're saying that to is like what the fuck yeah like oh i can't just drop a sexual assault joke like oops sorry i'm oops sorry guys i forgot that i don't know you that well yet and i can't like talk about that trauma like (laughs) so freely quite yet yeah Exactly. And I totally get what you mean, because that is actually a lot of the vibe that this movie has. Yeah. Did, did you I liked find it? That, oh, yeah. Sorry. No, I, I just, I like that vibe of, like, trying, like, it knows that it's not funny, but it's, like, trying to kind of have that air of someone who is, like, oh, I don't have a problem. Like, they even say at the, it's, like, they encapsulate at the end when they're, like, it's Ross... And Nikki's saying, like, I'm not hooked. I can stop whenever. I feel like that's, mm-hmm. like, that kind of grabs the ethos of the movie of, like, they're just thinking they're fucking around and having fun because they want to, not because that they are addicted to a drug. Right, exactly. Which is, like, a um, theme that recur- a good- comes up a lot in movies like this. It's like, I'm not hooked, but, like, here, I don't know, I think that was, like, a really pivotal moment when they're, like, in slow-mo saying... I'm not hooked. I can stop whenever at the end when, like, they're very obviously, like, incredibly fucked up. Like, so high and talking a million miles a minute and not listening to one another and just, like, ranting about their own separate things in the car. Yeah, that moment, that, like, scene is where it, like, kind of shifts into being just, like, sad. Like, sad, sad. Yes. Yes. Because they're, like, so... 
um, Nikki, played by Brittany Murphy, is talking about how... Ooh, it's sad. Um, she's talking about how she had a baby and the state took the baby away immediately and she only got to hold him for like a minute. Yeah. Um, and she she is on her way to the bus station and she's like, I'm going to like go back to Vegas and I'm going to get my baby and I'm going to be a great mom and I, I think I'd be like a really good mom and I'm just going to love him and I'm going to hold him so tight no one can ever take him away from me again and basically like she's just going to be a mom and like have a happy life and then uh, um, Ross is saying that you know, he and his girlfriend Amy have such a good connection with each other and he loves her so much and like they're gonna like have a happy life together but then the, <laughs> the camera like kind of backs away from both of them and then you kind of see that they're actually like exactly what you said they're actually not talking to each other they're talking really fast at each other yeah and um that's when you realize oh neither of them are going to like have this shit that they want and like nikki can't nikki's not gonna get her baby and not gonna be a mom um because she's really really hooked on meth yep like you know and again they both they both were like i can stop whatever i want i don't have a problem and like again like this is just, it kind of that whole the way it's framed in terms of how it's filmed really knocks at home of like they really are they do believe it they're not just like saying that but like they honestly in that moment and their state believe that they are not hooked and that they can easily turn their lives around and that's fucking heartbreaking yeah that's why it's so sad um did you find this movie disturbing I would classify it as disturbing I think it's hmm, this is going to be a weird distinction I make here I think it's a fucked up movie but I don't think it's disturbing I agree with that like fucked up stuff happens but I it's a movie that like I could definitely watch again and like again I know that's like the distinction but like a lot of the movies we've watched for addiction I'm like I just can't put myself through that again like it's just so hard to watch and this one's a little bit easier to watch but, I mean, it's still pretty fucking gross, though. Like, just the aesthetic alone makes it pretty fucking gross. Like, just the vibe of the whole thing is so grimy. Like, that was the nastiest part to me. <laughs> like. It is really grimy. Oh, my God. It's so grimy. Like, the movie opens and, like, Jason Schwartzman is going into uh, his dealer's house, Spider Mike. And the house is covered in, like, in tags and, like, graffiti on the outside. But he goes in and it's just, like, oh, there's just trash everywhere and it's just real dirty. And it just, that that vibe goes through the whole thing. Like, everyone's rooms are, like, very cluttered. Everyone is kind of, like, covered in filth and, like, looks like they haven't showered in a while and they're just, like, too strung out to do that. And it just captures this, like, grimy drug aesthetic really well in a way that like kind of made me uncomfortable so good for the movie i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah for me um it's just so fucking sad um and i like some of the movies i think that i think probably if people haven't noticed yet some of them are just going to be really sad 
like maybe not disturbing as in like yeah stick with you forever but they will hit you pretty hard in the moment and then maybe you'll be okay yes. um i think that's one of these like this is one of those kind of movies yeah i agree with that assessment 100 percent. because again like this is a a movie kind of like reminded me of requiem for a dream where it doesn't really hit you with like the backgrounds of everybody but they give you that at the end they hit you with like Mm -hmm. a lot more more reality of some of their situations particularly like nikki and the cook and that like that those like very brief intimate moments like really i thought made the movie even more upsetting and sad because like the movie plays them as caricatures a little bit like it's i think it plays that expectation of like caricature in a druggy movie and like some characters are kind of caricatures but then they're some of them are also humanized at the end and i think that adds a really interesting kind of layer to what the movie is trying to be yeah and before we get into like um more of those layers uh some of the character caricatures like i do actually want to point that out like some of it's almost problematic <laughs> like um yeah yeah the store clerks and the uh I, I i don't know if he said that they were his bitches so i don't know if that meant he was their pimp i don't know if that meant he's just like their boyfriend like i don't know but in any event they were all uh mexican and or latino um he was definitely mexican he looked like 10 of my cousins but (laughs) um that was fucked up like uh, that that actually i was like this is this is racist at this point and like Uh, didn't really have any necessity to the plot of the movie at all no they were just store clerks they were kind of like airheads and he would just be in there like yelling at them and then like the whole like gag was he kept getting beat up by people who were witnessing him be mean to the clerks or hit them or whatever he's doing at the moment um they were definitely caricatures i think deborah harry's character also was she was like the stereotype of a lesbian uh, she did have a really cool leather jacket that said Big did. Joan on the back. And I did want that jacket. Like, I will say I did love that jacket. Yeah, and her character, <laughs> while it was definitely, like, you know, a stereotype, it was actually really funny and I didn't think harmful. Um, She's just, like, a nosy neighbor like ross's nosy neighbor possibly his like landlord i almost got the vibe yeah i got that vibe too yeah and he and she like i guess breaks into his apartment we don't see it happen but he or or she basically like steals his girlfriend uh april (laughs) like out of his apartment and then you see april with her later on yeah well like i i guess they kind of read it i think there is like a very basic way to read that as like oh she seduced and stole his girlfriend but at the same time i was like she's also the person that fucking saved her from being kidnapped and held hostage for three days in like this this guy's fucking apartment like with no clothes on like oh for sure yeah it, also actually, important to know that, that, four that days. Her, oh, that's right you can't remember how many days <laughs> that's so crazy sorry what were you saying but um the Oh no! I was just saying she also is the um the person on the phone 
um, having phone yeah. sex with Spider Mike when he's arrested. So, like, her character is very, like, weirdly interwoven throughout. And it's, I kind of love that it's Debbie Harry, I will say. Oh, Just, me too. Like, randomly having her in there to, like, wear an incredible leather jacket or, like, beat up an asshole. Um, I don't know. I, I did enjoy her, that addition to the cast. But, like, also there was, like, kind of, like, the typical, like, tweaker relationships, too, I think. Like, John Leguizamo's character was, like, such a stereotype of, like, I feel like a drug dealer. <laughs> like, covered in those, like, shitty tattoos. No shirt the whole time. Like, takes his shirt off immediately when he walks in the door. <laughs> and he's wearing, like, um... Uh, we didn't even talk about the, the cops. We should do that. But, yeah, he's wearing, oh, like, we, we hip hugger, like, leather snakeskin pants. Like, like the lowest rise bullshit I've ever seen. Like, I love that. It was incredible. It was incredible. If I looked like him, I would wear those. That's true. Today, I not in two thousand one. Today, right now, I'm gonna get you a pair of low rise pants for your, for Christmas. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, just, yeah, um, the the cops are like really over the top, like stupid the cops. meth head cops yes because they show, show them like s- yes they show them snorting meth right before they go in to do anything they're just constantly yelling at each other but then my favorite is when they do the final bust when they're on the show and it becomes like a fucking cop show the way it's edited and yeah. it's just like like the typical like cop show music starts playing and it's absolutely over the top like this whole movie is just over the top and ridiculous. Like it doesn't feel like reality at all. No, it doesn't. Like it's not a fantasy, but it has this weird like vibe to it that makes it feel almost uncanny. If like that's kind of how I got it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It it, it just love. gives it some levity and some humor because otherwise it is really dark, which brings me to uh you you go first oh i was just gonna say that um i feel like you can either do the only way to really do something like this is either make it ridiculous and funny to the point that it's unrecognizable as like a real humanity or really depressing like i feel like it's you can't really do in the middle i feel like you don't do the topic justice or like you kind of look like an idiot or like aren't handling the subject matter in a way that is Okay, and I feel like extreme comedy is like a way to kind of look at the subject, and that's where this one goes. Totally agree. That's totally all agree. I had to say about it. That still leads me into my next thing, which is this movie is constantly compared in reviews to Requiem for a Dream. Yes, I because I I when I read reviews for it like that was kind of the, the comparison and i was like oh, okay like i'll look out for it but it's it's just i mean like yeah they're both about drug addicts but they're just so wildly different in how they handle their subject matter in so many different ways that it's like a very like not all drug movies are like requiem for a dream <laughs> hashtag not all drug movies <laughs> i actually so i i am I was with you, and then I started trying to think about it, and I actually think that this movie 
uh, does borrow, I think, from Requiem for a Dream a little bit, right? Did Which one came out first? I was just trying to remember which one came first. Because this is 2003. And Requiem for a Dream, I think, was 2001. Yeah, so... 2000. Yeah, so I think it does borrow a little bit from from that movie, like, mm-hmm. uh, aesthetic-wise. Like, not aesthetic, but... Like, at the end when they're all asleep in Spawn. Yeah. I think that was, yeah, like, yeah. it's Requiem for a Dream ending moment. But the story, it's almost like Requiem for a Dream. If Requiem for a Dream was about uppers, like, uh, like you know what I mean? Like, because Requiem for a Dream is about heroin. So it's more, like, you know, um subdued and like subdued yeah and this is about meth and i think that like the tone for both movies like suit the drug that the film is about yeah and then in this one i look i don't think this movie is nearly as deep as requiem for a dream oh um, no not even or nearly no. as sad but I do think that the story in Spun does try to have its Requiem for a Dream moment by giving those stories towards the end where we get a little bit of background about the characters, like a little insight about where they are mentally and about their childhoods or their lives before they all kind of meet. Yeah. So in that regard... I could see it. And it also, like, at the end, for me, again, it it becomes really sad. And uh, it, Requiem for a Dream is, above all, really sad. Yes. But I guess, hashtag, not all sad movies are like Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> I just think, I, I can see it. I, I think maybe they just came out around the same time. So it's like, you know, like, you know, remember in the early 2000s yeah. when, like, Paramore came out and everyone was like, oh, Paramore sounds like Evanescence. And it's like, do you have ears? <laughs> Incredible comparison. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, there definitely is kind of that vibe of, like, maybe this movie was taking inspiration from Requiem for a Dream in terms of, like, what it was trying to do in terms of talking about drug addiction in that time period. And I also feel like that was also a time period where a lot of people were making movies about drug addiction. Um, too, but again, like this one, like you said, has a very different way of approaching it that matches the tone and like the kind of what the, what meth does to your body and your mind and how you act on it versus what you act like on heroin. Right. Yeah. Uh, they all say they've been awake for like 12, 15 days. My tired ass. was like, Jesus (laughs) Christ. Good Lord. This might not surprise you. I know, like, several people who did meth. Um, gotcha. And one of them was telling me that when they would do meth, um, they would go to Walmart and talk to, like, in the middle of the night, and they would talk to all the employees, like, at the registers <laughs> and, like, follow them outside on their breaks and stuff because they they knew that they just needed to talk and they knew that those people had to like 
listen to them like they couldn't really do anything about it which is really messed up but i was gonna say oh my god fuck that (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that wow that story and i was like wow how often did you do that and they were like (laughs) like every day oh my god and you know when they employees were (laughs) You knew when that person walked into the store, people were ran to the back and were like, please don't tell them I'm here. Oh, absolutely. I was like, I wonder if they, like, knew who you were. And she was like, yeah, I could see that they didn't want to talk to me and would try to avoid me. But I just oh did it God. anyway. <laughs> and I was like, well, how long would you be there? And she'd be like, like, hours. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I would have called security. I would have been like, get the fuck out. Like, I know that sounds terrible, but I've been like, guys, I'm working. Like, I can't be having these conversations with you. But it was in the middle of the night, so really no one's there. <sighs> but I have to stock shell. I don't know. Well. Like, I know. Like, no, she said specifically <laughs> it was the cashiers. Oh, my God. I know. I was like, wow, that's wild that you have, like, specific <laughs> types of workers. Like, like, a strategy behind it, too. They couldn't leave her. <laughs> that's fucked up. That's fucked up. Uh, that made me laugh. Drugs, everybody. <laughs> um, what did I want to talk about? But what do you want to talk about? Um. Oh, so okay. I wanted to know if this was a stylistic choice of the movie, or I was watching a weird cut of the movie. But did your version have like the poop? No, not the. <laughs> Like, did it blur out, like, vaginas and stuff for you? And, like, when they're having sex? No. What version was I watching? Where did you watch it? On Amazon Prime. Oh, I I watched it on, like, (laughs) I think I watched it on Pluto or Tubi. Like, they, every time they said cunt it would bleep out and like when there was oh, sex no. in it they would blur it out and like when april's laying on the bed they like blur out her pubic hair and i was like is this some oh weird stylistic God. choice i thought it, i was like is this supposed to be some kind of weird commentary and i was like nope it's just what that's so weird Dude, that's gets you watched like the clean flicks version <laughs> but like there was still sh- like that's what i was confused about because it wasn't clean and it was weird the things that were like blurred out or censored and other things that weren't because i was like yeah. trying to figure out if i was watching a weird like tv cut but then they still had the close-up of like john leguizamo shooting up in his arm and like stuff like that so it was mostly like sex stuff like so there's these animated like interludes throughout and there's one where ross is sitting in a script club and like looks into a woman's crotch and like becomes a weird sperm and there's like a sec- like animated sex scene, and it's all blurred out. Weird sperm is my band name. Good. Wait, that's so bizarre. Okay, yeah, interesting. I don't, I don't know I why. Was, I was wondering why that was the. I was like, that cannot be how it's actually in the movie. No, I watched the um, uncensored, unrated version, but I don't remember that stuff happening. Like on my dvd when i was younger because i feel like so i would remember that and weird. notice it huh 
<laughs> well, that answers that que- that answers that question of mine. Yeah, um, no, nothing was like. I mean, again, I watched the unedited, uncensored one, but um, yeah, I, don't, I think that was just like a weird version that you saw. I figured that the one on Amazon would be unrated and uncensored because it's Amazon Prime. Weird. I don't know, and I know for sure it was uncensored in mine because. I noticed this time that Mickey Rourke's character, the cook, has like he calls someone Genghis cunt, and then oh really hard. my god, that is incredible. Yeah, yeah, the word cunt was blurted out every time they said it. We should just keep saying it to make up for that. But yeah, okay, so that's what I, that was one question I wanted to bring up, because I was like, this feels incorrect. Like, I'm not sure that this is a thing that is actually, like, relevant to the plot or, like, stylistic choices of this movie. So, interesting. Mm. Um, I wanted to talk about Brittany Murphy's character, because R.I.P. Queen Brittany Murphy love that woman forever and so fucking sad that she is no longer with us but she is incredible in this movie she's an incredible actor that is exactly what i wanted to talk about next like oh we're the same i think everyone is really good in this movie even like Suvari, who is like not really in it that much but (laughs) she's like just being uh for lack of a better term like psychotic (laughs) and also she has a she has a scene where she has to like poop (laughs) oh my god and they literally (laughs) like close up on a poop plopping into the toilet water and then she has to like she (laughs) there's no like toilet paper (laughs) yeah i don't know um but yeah like oh okay that's that that gives you how like just this film is grimy just there's poop I, I really can't even express enough how grimy it is. It's really, it's actually just gross. It's well, gross. Also, like, I just remember when Jean-Luc was always jerking off when she's pooping, like, because, <laughs> she, yeah, that's a weird sentence I just said. Um, he, they they blurred out his him jerking off. They put, like, a black box over his, his crotch. Oh, no, you fully see it. Actually, actually, when I was watching it again, I was like, this it has to be real. I don't know how else they would film it. Like I don't know. Like wow. I mean, he has a sock on, but he's like jumping up and down and stuff. And yes, um, you like you can like fully see it. Like there's a moment at first where he's like holding it, and I'm like, okay, that could be like a prosthetic or something. But I I just I don't know. It has to be real. <laughs> I don't That's know. Why. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, Brittany yeah. Murphy. <laughs> Brittany Murphy. Um, yeah, I did want to talk about that because she is, like I said, everyone's good, but she is the best. And it's not just because yes. I love Brittany Murphy. It's like she is the best one. Like when she's screaming at the cook um, in the hotel room, like saying, like, I'd rather be anywhere in the world than in this room with you. And... Or, like, when she's calling him a loser on the phone, she's like, loser, 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 you lose. <laughs> oh, my uh, God, I know. I was like, this is both really sad and really funny at the same time. Exactly. But um, I don't know. You could just tell. 
I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone else, but like you could just tell like she was all in. Like you know she what was. I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like she was screaming she... from her soul. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. Like she was all in with this performance and like really sold the fact that she was somebody who was like really stuck in like a... how do I put this? She really gave up a vibe of somebody who is stuck and knows she is stuck but is trying to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Because it's like this desperation in her, like behind her smile, and this feeling of like, I'm great. I love my boyfriend. I have a cute dog. Like it's great. But then really, she lives in a hotel room where he's cooking meth, and it smells terrible. And her dog is like getting sick from the inhalation of the fumes, and like he's calling up sex workers on the phone when like she's mad at him and things like that. Like it's just. She's trying so hard to be happy, and she, it, it she, she's like, and the movie is basically her like, no longer being able to hide the fact that she is fucking miserable. Yeah, exactly. She's just so, she's so good in everything that she does. To be honest with you, and yes, it hurts my heart every single day that like I'm, I'll never get a new Brittany Murphy movie. Yeah. Or, like, just a new movie that Brittany Murphy's in. Because, I mean, I think that, you know, we look back on her career and we're like, oh, she was, like, a leading lady. But she wasn't a leading lady in most things. Yeah, she usually played, like, a really good, like, side character. (laughs) Who stole the show. And she had, like, a couple, like, leading parts that were, like, good. Like, obviously, um... Uptown Girls. She's Uptown great. Girls. <laughs> uh, and like she's the lead. Na 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 na. Sheets of Egyptian cotton. Na 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 na. Yeah, and like, but like, for instance, probably most people think of her as like a lead and don't say a word. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, she's actually not a lead. She's just like. She had that, like, one really iconic line that they used in the trailer. And then, I don't know, she just stole the show, which is saying something. Yeah. Like, when she's up against, like, you know, like, who is it? Michael Douglas, right? I can't remember. I don't know. I just love her so much. And she's so good in this movie. Like, she's so... She has this thing that she does, um in a lot of her roles and she does it in this movie where she's like crying but like laughing yes do you know what i'm talking about yes yes i do and it makes you just want to like hug her because you feel like it's real like you feel like she actually is feeling that way and you want to she's really good at her she's really good at invoking like empathy from the viewer I feel like yes like she's so good at getting you to feel for her characters and like she pours so much emotion into these people and like makes them feel like fully actualized people and not just characters in a movie and she does that so well with Nikki in this film like a a character who could easily have just been like a stereotypical person hooked on drugs who just like is looking for an escape and she just adds a lot of layers to her that 
or just in her performance and like how she walks around and like how she is like so scared about her dog and is like trying to get her dog to the vet and like just trying so hard to like maintain and like I don't know maintain I just feel like is like what she is trying to do this whole movie and it just like does not work at the end but she get what's great about this movie I I also think is that like there okay there's a tra- there's tragedy in it especially at the end for the cook but there there's like a little bit of hope like a little bit you know what I mean like maybe hope like she is going back and you know like obviously you don't believe like buy her story that she's going to like get better and but like there's like maybe a twinge of hope maybe in there I don't know maybe I'm just too optimistic and I'm tired but no I. I see what you're saying. Like, um, when I, when I watched it again last night at the end, you know, I was sad, but then I was like thinking about it and I'm like, well, if the cook is dead, maybe that forces some of them to get clean, you know? Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. And like, that, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, well, maybe this will be, like, a kick in the ass for people, or maybe it won't be, but, like, there's a... You can tell that this is, like, a huge shift at the end, and, like, there's, like, a big kind of question mark. Like, what is going to happen, and, like, what choices are these people going to make? Are they going to make a decision that could help them get clean, or are they going to continue on the path that they're on? So it feels like there is just, like, a big question mark that could be positive or could be completely fucked up and destructive. Like, you, it's kind of very much left up in the air. Yeah, like, um, this is, like, the first time I ever really thought about it, but I kind of took it... I, okay, we know in reality they'd probably just find another dealer. We know for sure yeah. that the, yeah. the guy who's always at the... Um, gas station is a meth dealer he says it but um but we don't see that happen so we get to kind of like speculate and yeah. for me this time watching it i was like i've always thought and i'm curious to know your feelings on it i always thought that the cook killed himself on purpose like, oh he blew I, that's ex- on purpose that's exactly how i read it okay that he, so yeah in doing that I kind of took it as he's ending the cycle. Like, he's forcing everyone to, like, get a grip. Well, especially because, like, right before this, he has this, like, really sad fucking story he tells Ross, who is falling asleep, like, not really listening. For the first time in days. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm crashing. I'm really tired. And... The cook is telling this horrible story about how his dog had puppies and his mom was drowning the puppies one by one in the bathtub. And she was like, you always kill what you can't take care of. And then she looks at the cook as he was a kid and goes, I wish I could do the same to you. And like, Jesus Christ. Like, and he says that maybe she should have. And yeah, and like... You know, this character for most of the movie has been, like, pretty gross. I mean, like, you know, he's not... I don't think he's not a good person, but I also, like, you know, he's a guy who makes meth in a hotel room and wears a lot of really tight clothes. Everyone wears really tight clothes in this movie. Like, but, like, comically tight clothes. Like, cowboy boots and everything. And, like, you haven't really learned much about him other than he cooks meth and is, like... 
a like weird, just like a weird. And he loves guy. wrestling. He watches Juggalo loves, wrestling. Loves wrestling. Has a very specific taste in women and pornography. Um, <laughs> big boobs and no ass um, is his taste in women. Uh, fascinating combination. Like, what? <laughs> like, that's weird to say. I know. I was like, okay, well, you know what? To each their own, I fucking guess. But, um, and then he has this, like, really, like, subdued monologue. And this is after, like, he's been arrested. Brittany Murphy called him a loser. Like, all this shit. And he leaves Ross in the car and goes into a trailer. And I, I definitely read it as he did it on purpose. Like, I read it as him committing suicide. Yeah, because he even parks, like, kind of really far away. Yeah, and, like, doesn't wake him up. I don't know. It just, it felt very purposeful. And, like, I don't know. Not to make assumptions here, but that guy seems like he's been doing it for a long fucking time. And I feel like, you know, obviously explosions happen, like, he blew up that motel. But so quickly, it just felt like a very purposeful move on his part. Yeah. But now that we're talking about it, and we're, like, thinking maybe it forced them to, like, get a grip, I'm realizing that, um... Ross just stayed happily asleep. So maybe that's a bad sign. Maybe that's like, oh, uh, the cook tried, but it is how it is. Imagine being so tired that you are not woken up by the sound of something exploding. I cannot relate. Cannot. If you, like, breathe in my direction, I will wake up. <laughs> I'll say you're a really light sleeper. Yeah, I have to sleep alone always, because <laughs> I will wake up. Good lord. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> That's fucking su- that just fucking sucks. That's um. trauma. <laughs> and that's on trauma. Hey. <laughs> um, um. We're, we're fine. We're totally fine. Um, but yeah, so like that moment I thought was just like, Jesus Christ, like this movie's packing some fucking punches in the final couple minutes here. He's so good. He, like they're like I said, they're all really good. And um you know, Mickey Rourke isn't given much for his character for most of the movie. Like he just cooks meth, tries to buy porn, and like that's pretty much it. <laughs> um I mean, he he's a great actor so he gives the character a little bit of nuance but towards the end is when you really start seeing like ah okay there he is there's mickey rourke you know you forget how good of an actor he is he looks so rough all the time even though i definitely texted dax and said why is mickey rourke caught to me in this movie am i okay and you were like "Hmm, yeah and i'm like i think i'm tired I wasn't going to out you about it, but I'm glad you No, I out. added No, I added myself because I was like, what is wrong <laughs> with me? <laughs> why am I, why is this attractive? Like, it's, he's just, does not look good. Yeah. I, I love him. I, 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 you know what? At the end, towards the end, he does start reminding me of his character, like, in The Wrestler a little mm-hmm. bit. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's why I'm like, oh, there he is. <laughs> You know, I don't think either um, way he's yeah. hot, but that's, you know, you're just, just choices. leave me alone. Leave me alone here. <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> um, 
I'm sure I have a crush on someone questionable. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We all... It's just the way we all are. Sometimes you're just like, hmm, what's wrong with me? Whatever, here we are. Um, So something I was just thinking about that makes this movie, I think, so sad is within the grime of the film and how grimy every person's house is going from like spider spider spider's house spider mike's house that's like just trashed to ross's hotel room slash apartment wherever to frisbee's house where he lives with his mom and like there's these very it's like there's a gross part where like yeah where frisbee's mom is fat and they like make her being fat part of the grossness which is really frustrating to me and a joke when they like too. they like have her asking for food and like they're like doing close-ups of like her stomach and like food resting on her stomach and of like parts of her body that are bigger and it's supposed to be like look how gross she is as a fat person and that's so fucking annoying like i know it's night it's the early 2000s but still just like just that kind of visual gag in Scarecrow's they think that they're pulling is just so frustrating to me. Um, but that that was just something I, like, I wanted to touch on. I'm just like, why do we keep doing this shit? Like, yeah, I had the same thought, actually, like, when I was good watching Lord. it. But this, the grime, like her weight, like not part of my discussion here about like grime and like it's more like the houses, t- it kind of lends to this kind of complacency that people have with addiction. And how mm-hmm. things fall to the wayside. And and this happens with, like, I've experienced, like, not that level, but, like, issues with cleaning when I'm depressed. And, like, when you're in a place where you're thinking about other things or your brain is just, like, kind of not focused on executive function, like, how easy it is to kind of fall into that complacency. And... It's, like, really gross in the movie, and it's really grimy, but the more I'm thinking about it, the more, like, it's, a we- it's like, a true thing with this complaint. Like, again, the complacency that comes sometimes when you're dealing with addiction or mental illness of, like, sometimes things just don't take priority. And I think that, to me, is, like, not disturbing, but I think a sad reality that I think, you know, is played here, again, for, like, visual kind of comedy a little bit, but at the same time, if you think a lot about it, it is, at the same time, sad and indicative of, like how deep they are into addiction. I agree. Yeah, for for all its jokes and everything, this movie's actually pretty accurate when it comes to addiction, like how it looks. And, I mean, I don't do drugs, but I'm going to assume, based on my over-caffeination, how it feels. (laughs) (laughs) And, and and how it works sometimes, too, right? Like, um, for instance, when when I go to... Do you know where... Do you know what and, and or where Camden is in New Jersey? I do. So, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Camden is a lot of really great normal people live there but it's also known for um being a place where people buy drugs um specifically Mm -hmm. like heroin and like it's just known for like a lot of like unhoused people and just like yeah um like a lot of crime and whatnot although uh it's i mean the, the crime rate has gone down like a lot but mm-hmm. that is 
you know, historically what that area is known for. Um, and when you are in a place where there are a lot of, you know, addicts and or unhoused people, you know, for me, someone who's been around these types of people my whole life, I always like joke to my sister, um, cause she always hangs out in Camden or used to, um, that like, I never give anyone anything because once you, it's almost like if you give a mouse a cookie, like if you, if you, mm-hmm. you know, give them like if you give someone a cigarette, then they want like 10 cigarettes and then the next person does. And then everybody suddenly wants something from you. And that like, I, I hate to say this, but that's literally my experience, like from working there and like being in the area, um, you know, picking people up or, or whatever I'm doing at the moment. Um, (laughs) like people come up to my car and just be like, can you drive me here? Hey, do you have this? Do you have that? And it's like, I don't know you. Like, you know what I mean? Hello? Like, who? Yeah. Like, for real. Like, they'll be like, oh, you got a dollar? Oh, can you do this? Like, okay, say someone comes up to my car and is like, do you have a dollar? And I give them a dollar. Then they're like, oh, can you give me a ride, like, down the street? Oh, can you wait for me while I run inside? Like, 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 that has happened. You know, not that I'm giving rides to strangers, but just, you know. Um, so... When I was watching this movie, I was thinking about that because, like, Ross does not, like, know these people. <laughs> like, he knows Spider Mike and um, Cookie, but he doesn't know Nikki or uh, the cook. They meet for the first time. Like, he and Nikki meet for the first time at Spider Mike's house. And <laughs> I'm laughing because when the movie first started, I had to like pause it and make sure that I wasn't like somehow 40 minutes in. Cause everybody's just <laughs> acting like familiar with each other. And it's all chaotic. And I'm like, did I miss something? But nope, it's just chaotic. Um, but yeah, so Nikki just asks him for a ride and then it turns into, okay, now you got to come here whenever we call you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, Paul, <laughs> okay yeah that's what i was thinking of because it's like in my experience like i'll take you know uh my siblings as an example um two people who (laughs) were addicts and i thought of canon specifically because last time i was there someone started doing that to me and like i was like i do not know you sir (laughs) get away from me hello please go away (laughs) <laughs> but my my siblings and their friends would be like, oh, can you drive me here? Oh, can I get money? Can I get like $4 for cigarettes? Okay, well, can I get four more dollars for this and that? Um, <laughs> watching this movie reminded me of that because uh, Ross drives her once and then suddenly has to drop everything he's doing up to and including like having sex with someone who he then for some unknown reason because it's not like it's a malicious malicious choice he <laughs> leaves her like attached to his bed for yeah, days so, what the fuck what yeah i don't and understand he, and, yeah he just has to drive them everywhere do this and that yeah it's crazy um but that is a reality 
that and it's just like a minor detail almost that you don't really think about but like that is like a real life thing and that it makes me laugh but it's kind of sad too because it is realistic but yeah um pivoting to him handcuffing uh april to his bed for days i have no idea why he does that i don't think he even knows i i the the disturbing part to me is that like for some reason he keeps taping her mouth and eyes shut yes the eyes yes like what why i have no idea why he does that i don't either because i was like i get i guess i kind of get the the mouth but maybe he just like i don't yeah i don't know what the eyes thing was the whole thing was just like the fuck is happening i think he doesn't even know and then when he gets back no i don't think he has any logic like no logic behind what he's doing i think he just like is doing yeah what he thinks makes sense and obviously he doesn't really have any sense of what is reality and what is actually a good idea or like the re like the situation because like she's like i just gotta go to work like just let me go and i'll go to work and you can go do your thing like she doesn't try to fight him on anything or like tell him not to do something he's just like yeah i just gotta go to work he's like no i'll come back and take you to work she's like nah dude just let me go and he's like no and it's just like what what it escalates so quickly and it's but it's not like in an evil way it's just like no it's it's almost like he's like i'll save it for later almost like wrap it up yeah it's just like yeah exactly it's like putting this terrible it's like putting leftovers in the fridge that's like almost exactly how it seems and then when he gets back she's like not even she's mad but then like they start like messing around again and she's like having fun and like disappointed when he like, he has yeah. to stop again i i don't i don't know i don't i just <laughs> like i don't i don't understand but I mean, we're also not up for twelve days on meth, so yeah, I don't true. know what my choices would be if I were in that situation. Not that I, I would hope that I would never do that, but I mean, for his character, I don't know. You know, cut this yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't I don't know. I can't even begin to understand his mindset after being awake for however many days and just tweaking like fucking crazy. Yeah, and, like, again, I think that's also something that, like, this movie does, now that I'm thinking about it, is, like, makes you feel alienated from their decision-making process because they're, like, the characters are making it in such a ridiculously altered state and, like, they're lo- they don't have logic. And when it's like, why are you doing it this way? It's like, oh, it's because they don't have any real concept of reality anymore. Like, they are on another plane of existence, of exhaustion. Like, yeah. Yeah, this movie almost makes you feel like, as a viewer, you're, like, their designated driver. Yeah. it's, It's, like, how it feels to be the only sober person for, like, miles and miles. Yeah. And you're just along for the ride and you're like, I want to help these people, but I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yes. Yes, that is exactly it. A truly wild movie. A truly wild movie. I'm glad I watched it, though. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it because it doesn't have a very high, like, um, rating. Like, let me see. 
if I remember correctly on Rotten Tomatoes, the, the like critic score is not very high. Yeah, it's not super high on Letterboxd either. Yeah, so across 79 reviews by critics, it has a 37%. But mm. with over 50,000 ratings across the audience oh, wow. score, it has a 75%. Oh, interesting. So the critics' consensus says a chaotic drug movie that has little substance behind the stylistic flash. Which, like, I get why they would say that, but I don't, I don't know that I agree. I don't yeah. know that every drug movie needs to have, like, this big cathartic moment where, like, it's all dramatic and everything. Like, sometimes that's just not how it is for people. I wouldn't say there's, like, very little substance it's like it's almost like a slice of life movie you know yeah huh i don't know i would have to think more about yeah like this person nev pierce or neve pierce maybe they say i'll just read you some some of these quotes okay the first this person says like an ex-addict reminiscing over their days of dependence it's dead behind the eyes hollowed out i don't know about that this other person jeff says it never quite convinces you this is anything but a fashion shoot which i understand that but i i don't know i just disagree then someone else said rick this guy rick said it's a placebo of a film interesting yeah Jeff Strickler says this drug drama has enough drugs to stock a hospital but precious little in the way of drama but but does it have to be like it's not a drama yeah does it have to be I I don't know I I think there's interesting expectations with movies about drugs or people like it has to be dramatic and crazy and it's like, well, this movie is pretty fucking nuts, though. Like, I know not a lot, like, again, not a lot really happens, but at the same time, it feels like the stakes are high the way that it's kind of filmed and framed. Right. So, I don't know. I don't agree with that assessment from that that, that critic. This guy, Eric, says, more intent on giving us a day-in-the-life presentation of some speed freaks and their hijinks than actually telling us anything about them. Their actions isn't, are meaningless. Isn't that the point? But that's funny. The, the reason I read that is because we almost just said the exact same thing, but we liked that about it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's the point, and I don't think that's a bad thing. So I guess it kind of just depends on how you feel about that. Interesting. Like, that's a Coen Brothers movie, baby. Nothing means anything. Everything yes. means. And... I don't know if you've noticed this pattern about my choices, but I like that in a movie. Because I think that I feel, I might, I I would have to think more about this, but I think that I just feel that way, like about life. Like nothing, like, not in a depressing way, but like nothing like matters. Like, you know? Yeah. Well, I would have to think more about this, but I'm going to guess that that's why I like that in movies. But I also just like irony. So I like the idea of like, oh, they're like working so hard to get this money and break into this panic room to get the money. And then at the end, all the money flies away and no one gets it at all. 
and the only nice guy is the one who gets caught. Like, I don't know why I use Panic Room. But, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I don't know. I just love that. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I also never go into movies with expectations. Like, that's why I don't like to watch trailers. I don't like to see images. I don't want to know anything. I will literally decide if I like if I want to see a movie based on like the title and maybe one image, but um, I try really hard. And even if I did have all of those things available or I saw all of those things, I like to go into a movie and be like, okay, tell me a story. I'll go wherever you take me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's a more modern way to, I don't know, critique movies. Hmm. Taste. (laughs) <laughs> no, not that I have, like, better taste. Let's not go that far. I'm just saying, you know, like, all these reviews are from, like, 2003, right? Yeah. So maybe, like, it yeah. was normal to critique a movie based on what you expected it to be rather than what you saw, which really grinds I, my gears when people do that, but whatever. I also feel like there is more of a taste now, at least I think so, for movies that are a little less dramatic like slice of life situations yeah where there's I could like more that. like a wider interest in them i think and i think there is more um not only like acceptance but almost like a want for bleak movies yeah yeah america america <laughs> Well, that was fun, y'all. Well, okay, so uh, we're doing one more movie in our diction series, and we're going to watch the 2019 film Castle in the Ground, which stars Alex Wolf and Neve Campbell and Imogen Poots, and is apparently really fucking upsetting. So, hooray. Ending on a dark note. So, that's exciting. Um, and then we'll have a special episode the week of Christmas for everybody. Yay, Christmas. But yes, that that about does it for this week's episode of Watch Once Never Again. Um, Make sure to email us if you have any suggestions for things we should be covering at wonapodcast at gmail.com. And also make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at wonapodcast, W-O-N-A podcast. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Daxi Bobbin. Uh, please don't forget to leave us a little rating, a little review um, on wherever you listen to podcasts, but especially Apple Music. It would be great. It's just a nice little Christmas gift to us and gives us a boost in the numbers and gets more people to listen to us, hopefully. So do that. <laughs> uh, but thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.